Hello and welcome to Human Together, where each week we talk about the communal life. This is a podcast for people who agree it is not good to be alone, but still secretly wonder whether it might be easier. Here we navigate the intersection of faith, belonging, and being an actual person. Welcome. I am so glad that you are here. I am your host, Sarah E. Westfall, and this week I am joined by Lara Dontremont. Lara is a wife and mom to three little wildlings in rural Nova Scotia, Canada. And while the wildlings snore, she primarily writes a mix of personal essays, creative nonfiction, or fantasy novels. In her work, Lara desires to weave the stories between faith and fiction, theology and praxis, for women who feel as if these pieces of them are always at odds. Her first book, A Mother Held, is a collection of essays on the early days of motherhood and anxiety. Now, this episode is not only for the parents. I found this conversation with Lara highly relatable and incredibly generous, especially as she revisits some of her own wrestling with her mental health and what it has been like for her to figure out how to care for others while simultaneously learning to care for herself. You'll catch most of our conversation here, but if you're interested in the extended episode with Lara featuring some bonus conversation, I invite you to become a paid subscriber to Human Together on Substack. Not only will you be able to listen to extended versions of each episode and support the podcast, keeping it ad-free, but you'll also gain access to quarterly essay series and our monthly book club. You can find all those details, including opportunities for complimentary subscriptions at sarahewestfall.substack.com. Okay, so let's get started. Here is my conversation with Lara Dontremont. All right, Lara, it is so good to have you on the podcast today. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. Now, this is the first time we've been able to sit down together and have a conversation. And I, you know, I read your professional official bio for everybody, but tell let's let's talk. Let's tell us a little bit about yourself. What does a typical day look like for you? Yeah, I live in Nova Scotia, Canada. Pretty rural, middle of nowhere, live close to the ocean. In the summertime, we like to walk by the shore. Your time, it's cold and snowy. Um, <laughs> so that usually involves bundling up three little boys and heading outside into the snow with snow pants and all the gear. And then in between all that time, it's playing with kids, cooking meals, writing in the margins of motherhood, basically. Yeah. Remind me of the ages of your boys. My oldest is five and my younger two are, they just turned three. Okay. So you are in the thick of it. That is, that is the thick <laughs> of it stage for sure. Yeah. It's busy and they're very energetic, like literally climbing the walls, energetic. <laughs> right. Well, we, I think, you know, this, we have four boys and so we are familiar with the level of energy and intensity. Mm -hmm. My husband and I laugh. Each one is so distinctly different from each other. They're like mm -hmm. separate flavors of ice cream. And yet somehow yeah. they each have their own type of intensity. So when they're all together, it's just wild. It's wild. It really is. You're you're right in describing it that way. It it just makes for an interesting, interesting time in a small house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially if if this time of year, like when we're having this conversation, if there's a lot of snow and it's not super 
easy to go outside, maybe start feeling like the walls are closing in a little bit. <laughs> and that's when they start climbing the walls. <laughs> right. Trying to find new territory. <laughs> yes. Or that's when you say, okay, we're getting our snow clothes on and we're going outside. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I love that. I know that you said that you your writing often comes in the margins. Have you always been a writer? Is this something that has come along the way? Talk a little bit about just how writing is part of who you are and, and your rhythms. Yeah, my writing really started in grade two. And I remember it specifically in that grade because up to that point, I had been a terrible writer. I could not finish a story, no matter how short of a word count our teacher gave us, I could not complete it. I just couldn't figure out how to bring it from beginning to end. And so my teacher decided, she said, you know, we don't have time in the class to really spend more time working on this assignment. But can you at home, like saying to my mom, can you get her to practice more? So that way she can grow in this skill outside of the classroom. And so my mom was very diligent in getting me to, she gave me prompts or she get me started with a character or a setting and asked me to write about it. And she has read every word <laughs> I have ever written from that day and offered very honest critique that took me time to grow into and be okay with. That's really where my writing took off. I never stopped writing at that point. I wrote stories, uh, short ones, long ones, all through school. Then in about junior high, high school, I turned into the emotional, poetic... <laughs> <laughs> teenager writing poems about all the things and still writing stories some. And then uh, as I went into college, I started writing on a blog, you know, created my own blog. I think it was on WordPress and really rough writing, just trying to do this whole article writing thing that I saw other people doing. And I wanted to try my hand at and yeah, and now I'm here writing mostly personal essays and some articles, and then also doing some fiction writing as well. I so relate to <laughs> how you described the poetry of our high school days. Um, <laughs> I, I really hope mine don't exist somewhere in the world. I really think <laughs> they're all gone. There was a lot of angst. Yes. <laughs> heartbreak, um, crushing. <laughs> yes, all the things. But thank goodness we had an outlet to help process some of that stuff. We just, we don't need other people to see it though. <laughs> exactly. I was talking to another writer friend who one time she was cleaning out some of her stuff from her younger years with her family that they had found in their attic or something. And her younger sister came across this poem she had wrote and starts reading it out loud. And she's doing everything she can to take that poem out of her sister's hands. But no, she is just stuck on reading it. And she's like, it was so, so embarrassing. Yeah, I think I do still have a diary that has like a rainbow on the front of it from when I was like first, second, something grade. And I, I keep it because it is funny. And our boys like to laugh at it. And um, <laughs> it makes for good conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I know that writing has been part of you for a really long time. Um, but more recently, you have been working on a book talking about motherhood. You know, we talked about those, those little boys who are quite busy but a book, A Mother Held, Essays on Motherhood and Anxiety. Talk to us a little bit about how this particular project, this book came to be. 
So all of my life, I struggled with anxiety in some form, and it's taken different forms throughout my life. Particularly in motherhood, it became much more difficult and OCD got thrown into the mix and just lots of various forms of anxiety started coming out of me and phobias and social anxiety and all of the things. And so over the years, I've always wanted to write about my story with anxiety to help others and encourage others and just never seemed to kind of work out. And I kind of set the idea aside. And then I had a younger girl come into my house who she was newly married and she had just found out she was pregnant. And she's like, I want to be excited about motherhood, but I am so, so anxious all the time and worried about, is my baby okay? And worried about the future. And I remembered those exact words coming out of my own mouth when I was in her position. And in that moment, I thought, I wish I could give her all the stories I've written and remember from my time in that stage to be able to encourage her, not to tell her that, oh, it's so terrifying. Yes, you have every reason to be fearful or to invoke some kind of pity from her, but rather to show her God is good and sovereign in the midst of all of this. And you can trust him and you can lean on him and you can bring him your fears. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And so I started putting together some of my essays from my website and cleaning them up because girl as writers, we realize our older writing isn't that great. And so it was a lot of editing and working through some of those. And then as I was collecting those, you know, thinking of other times being remembered of, oh yeah, here's another story where I saw God come through. I saw that God was faithful to me, where God comforted me and started writing those. And then I was talking to my editor at Cala Press about it. And she decided she wanted to publish it with them. And so that's kind of how the story of it coming together really came about. You said that anxiety has always been with you for a while. Was that something that you expected to be part of your parenting story? Or what was it like for you in those early, I mean, you're, you're still in the thick of it, but in those really early years of motherhood, trying to care for this new little human person while also needing to care for yourself. So what what was that like for you in those early days? Yeah, all through my life, I always thought when I reach this point in my life, my anxiety will be gone. You know, when I'm off on my own and in college, I'll have finally beat this beast. And I didn't. When I get married, I'll have, it'll be over. Still wasn't. When I become a mother, then I'll really be over this anxiety. And I wasn't. And so many times part of the struggle is feeling so defeated. But caring for myself, I'm perfectionist. And I want to keep going at full tilt all the time and get all the things done, checklist completed, all the things. And I wanted to be able to do that even as I was a mother running on three hours of sleep with a cranky baby on my hip (laughs) and breastfeeding every two hours or bottle feeding every two hours as it was with the twins. And I couldn't. And over and over again, realizing you need to ask for help. You cannot do this on your own. I mentioned in one of my essays in the book, I remember sitting on the floor trying to get my children gathered up to get out the door and saying to my husband, You know, when he gives a mother twins, he should really give her at least one more arm (laughs) along with that. That's why he calls us the church, the body. You know, I'm not meant to be all of it on my own. 
achievement to look to the other people who have the skills and abilities I don't have. The people who did get a full night of sleep and can let me take a nap. The people who they're past the baby years and they're like, yes, let me come hold your screaming baby so you can take a shower. The people who they know what it's like. They know they've been through these these trenches before in some ways. And they're like, let me do your laundry. Let me cook you a meal. And just learning to accept that help and to not feel ashamed that I need that help. But realizing this is the way God created me to need help. And then in the, at the same time, being okay with asking for help so that I can simply get a break. Not so that I can get more done but simply so I can rest. Or a lot of the times in my case, writing felt like rest because it felt like a time to breathe and be creative and be who the other part of me was. Because yes, I was a mother, but I was also a writer and a creative and I wanted to keep exercising those skills and those desires. And so also realizing it's not shameful to say, can someone come watch my kid for 30 minutes or hold my baby for a while so I can go write and not have to worry about the screaming for a bit. <laughs> and I think that was a big part of it of just learning, can't do this on my own, especially with anxiety. A big component of anxiety is lack of sleep makes it worse. And so I needed people to give me those naps and I needed to be okay with people helping me around the house and not let it become this anxious thing of I'm a terrible mother because I need help. Right. You know, I think that whether listeners, our, our parents are not, I think we can all relate to having experiences where we think that if the situation would just change, if this, if we just get to this landmark, or if I just buy this one tool that's supposed to solve all my problems, that we won't have whatever that particular struggle is. But that's not not always the case. Sometimes for you, you know, anxiety or fear or other, you know, whether it's physical ailments or, you know, things that we just wrestle with as human people, a lot of times that's a lifelong thing. And so it's hard to, to pivot to a mindset that maybe I'm not going to come to a place of arrival with this. And maybe what I need is some other people around me. <laughs> and that's, that's yes. a hard, it's really hard for us, especially we who live in these highly individualized kind of cultures. I know that's the case for where I live and probably where a lot of listeners live as well. It's hard to ask for help. What was it like for you that first time, that first time that you were like, help me please, <laughs> you know? I remember it was one of those mornings where my child had cried most of the night. And my first one was, he did not like to be laid down. He wanted to be held all the time. He was not a great napper. He liked to nap for maybe 10 minutes and then he was done. I was exhausted and he wouldn't stop crying. I remember calling a fellow mom who lived a few houses away. So it was like maybe a five minute walk. And I called her and I said, would you please come over and hold my child so I can have a shower? <laughs> and so she came over. I'm like, here he is. I'll be as quick as possible. And she said, don't even worry. It's okay. And I remember I scrambled so quickly in the shower and I came running down the stairs, hair still sopping wet. I'm like, how's he been? Oh, he screamed the whole time, but it's okay. She's like, I did your dishes too. Well, my children, she brought her two older ones with her. Like they, they rocked him in the little lounger and he's okay. <laughs> He'll be okay. And, and I felt so relieved 
And part of me expected all this judgment from her and like this huffing of like, oh, why do I have to be here? Why can't you just do it on your own? And it's like, not only did she do what I, like she took care of my child so I could shower. She also did my dishes. (laughs) And I didn't even ask for that because I didn't have a dishwasher. But she just went into my kitchen and washed up my dishes for me. And it was really an awakening moment for me to realize people actually do want to help me. I don't need to be afraid to ask them for help. And they expect me to need help. And they're okay to help. They're actually overjoyed to help. And they're grateful that I asked. And each time that I've asked for help, it's gotten a little bit easier, (laughs) which it's really hard that first time. But as we grow and realize that I'm only human and I need other humans to help me, it's how I was created as we keep telling ourselves that and keep having those positive experiences, the anxiety does start to go down because our body starts to realize, oh, wait, it's not a threatening thing to ask for help. It's actually an okay thing. And it usually goes well. Yeah. I think that God is really kind in meeting us in our humanity and whatever our situations are and not expecting us to like step outside of that, but just meeting us down in the dirt of our lives. And for you, a lot of that has been, especially over the last few years, has been motherhood. What would you say that being a mom has revealed to you, taught you about your own humanity, but maybe the second part of that taught you about God himself or revealed to you about God? I think for how it revealed God to me was seeing how much love I have for my child. I know all us moms feel that. You look at your child and you think, man, I would do anything to keep this child safe and happy and well taken care of. And then to think God loves me and my child even more than that. And really beginning to understand the fatherhood of God, because growing up, I didn't have a great father. And so that skewed a lot of how I viewed God. You know, I viewed him through the lens of he's judgmental. He's never pleased. He's not really interested in me. He is more interested in people who are handling themselves a lot better and various thoughts like that. And so it took a lot of time for me to really grasp the fatherhood of God And having children helped me do that as I saw how much my heart swelled with love and grace and mercy and faithfulness to my own children. All I could think of is how much more God has that for me and my children. You know, we often can think I'm the best caretaker of my child and we get really protective and we're really fearful of the future for them and realizing that God loves them even more and perfectly than I do. And that's the human part that I've had to learn is entrusting them to God that I can't be God for them. I can't do everything that God can do for them. I can't be there for them all the time. I cannot orchestrate their future. I cannot love them perfectly, but God can. And where I fall short in my humanity, I need to trust a God because a lot of my anxiety too was I remember having intrusive thoughts, laying in bed, thinking of, oh my goodness, what if I left the window unlocked? And what if a person or an animal gets in and, you know, their bedroom is a few feet away from mine? What if I don't get there quick enough? And all these intrusive thoughts, or like even in the newborn stage, what if he stops breathing and thinking, I just need to sit by this crib all the time, never blink and never go to sleep. But that's not possible. And at some point I had to lay down and say, God, I need to sleep. 
I trust you with this child while I close my eyes. I think motherhood has taught me so much about my limits and my humanity and about the greatness and love of God in the midst of that. Yeah. And you know, those are lessons. I hate to use the word lessons because I don't want to make everything prescriptive necessarily, but I think whether we're parents or not, those are good things for all of us to hear and to remember in our relationships because for people who are both our most beloved, closest people and even our enemies of recognizing the abundance of God's love for them is overwhelming if we really stop and think about it and freeing too. Mm. It helps us to be more open-handed with aspects of our relationships and other people that we will never be able to control, you know? How do you find that either the writing of your book or these things that you have learned about yourself and God, how does that shape the way that you relate then to other people? I think writing the book You know, it was a great reminder of all the ways God has been faithful to me throughout the years and being able to go back to those past memories, but also remembering that other people are often going through things that we can't see. Because for years, I never told anybody. With my first child, there were so many aspects of my anxiety that I never talked about, like the intrusive thoughts or the obsessive compulsions and and all the anxious thoughts I had and the feelings I had. I never told people because I thought it was abnormal and I tried to hide it. And, you know, I try, I also wanted to be able to function and think that I can do it all on my own with no help. And it makes me think, I know I'm not the only one. And often other people have stuff going on that they're not talking about, that they're not telling others about. And so I think that can be a good reminder for us to have more grace and kindness and patience for people. But then also to really pursue people, not in an annoying way of pestering them, how are you doing? How are you doing? But like, to really strive to be a person that those people feel like they can unburden themselves to. Even if it's simply texting them and saying, can I make a meal for you today or tomorrow? And, or saying, hey, I know you're a new mom, or I know you're going through this really hard thing. Maybe they lost somebody, or they just had a miscarriage, or they're going through some difficult suffering. And thinking, what's one thing I could easily do for them? And saying, can I come over and do some laundry for you? Or help you with this task that I know you have to do, but it's just one more thing on your plate. Or can I cover for you in Sunday school? Whatever the case might be, I think by offering those more physical things, we then show the person, I'm a trustworthy person who cares about you. And if you need, I'm here for you to talk as well. If you want to talk about the deeper things, the more emotional and mental things going on right now. Yeah. When we were going through probably the most raw season of our own grief, we lost a son 13 years ago. Like you said, you cannot undervalue a casserole that shows up at your door. And I know a lot of times I've heard in certain settings, people kind of rolling their eyes of, oh, a meal train or da, da, da. But I'm like, no, like, yes, it is simple. And yes, it is maybe very common. But (laughs) to let someone love you in that way, in that very most basic human way that we need to be fed is also then so very nourishing to to our souls, to our Mm -hmm. larger part of our humanity. People are like, oh, well, everybody does, you know, chicken and rice casserole or whatever. I'm like, no, do it. Like, Do it anyway. (laughs) They can put it in their freezer if they don't want it. Right. And we all know how time consuming 
and just energy it can take to make a meal. You know, we give them a physically nourishing meal or we give them the relief of, I don't need to do that today. This gives me more space to handle what it is I'm going through. Yeah. You know, another thing that somebody did for us once was even just give us like a gift card. I think it might've been like to Pizza Mm -hmm. Hut, something like that of just saying, hey, keep this on hand for a day that you're like, I just can't handle thinking about or preparing a meal today. Like I never would have thought of that until we had been on the receiving end of something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really, it really makes a difference. And even I went into preterm labor with the twins and had to go to another city that was three hours away and stay near that hospital. So that way they could monitor me in case I went into preterm labor again. And we had so many people, we had people send us gift cards for gas for our travels. We had people do a grocery order for us because we were basically living off room service. We had a tiny little fridge in our um, hotel room. And so people would say, hey, we just did a grocery order for you at the local grocery store. Go pick it up and you can have some like fresh veggies tonight instead of doing another pizza order. And so... Just little things, like you said, things I wouldn't have thought of to do for somebody. We think, oh my goodness, they're three hours away from me. What can I do? But those simple things were such a blessing to us. I love that. I started compiling a list of things that I found really helpful to me. Yeah. Something that's really helpful to go back to. So I think that is a good thing for us to pay attention to of what is it somebody did to care for me? How did that make me feel? Paying attention to that and then paying it forward to a degree and and being attentive then to others when they're in a season of need. Now that you are further along in your motherhood, but you still have busy boys, what is your posture toward anxiety? Has that shifted? Is it still present? How are you holding that kind of in this current moment? Yeah, it's it's taking a lot of therapy over the years and still you know, therapy going on as well. And a big change that happened for me in those years was developing a better view of mental health and faith. Because for most of my growing up years, I thought that anxiety was a sin, you know, the Bible says, do not worry. Therefore, I'm disobeying God. And therefore, you know, if I can't get this sin under control. Maybe I'm not even saved. And so much angst intertwined with my faith around my mental health. And then as the years have gone by and I've, you know, been referred to various specialists because in my pregnancy, one of my phobias is vomiting. And so, you know, morning sickness, that makes things very complicated. And so I had a doctor refer me to a maternal psychiatrist and where I was able to finally see this isn't a sin. This is a physical issue happening in my brain. And it's not that I'm specifically seeking to do something bad and wrong. This is something happening that I am partly out of control of, that it's just these misfirings happening in my brain. Over the time, able to come to a healthier place with understanding my mental health and not viewing it always as something that's wrong with my character or some way that I'm failing God yet again, or that I'm hurting God in some way in our relationship. But being able to say, this is something I'm suffering with and that God wants to draw near. And it's not a command that thou shall not ever, ever worry, but rather seeing it as this is God's fatherly invitation that 
You don't need to worry. I'm here for you. And I love you. And I'm not going to leave you just because you're scared. And that has really brought me to a better place with my anxiety because that relieves such a huge part of it that this extra burden that I'm an awful person because I'm anxious. Now I can come to better grips with my anxiety, understanding it from a better perspective than there's something majorly wrong with my spiritual life. Yeah, I think that's really relatable. And I think that there are many of us who have similar stories, things that we thought about mental health or depression or anxiety or, you know, certain diagnoses that carried a stigma or that carried a a label to a degree and having to learn a different and better story so that it doesn't add shame to the pile <laughs> of things that we're already carrying. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so vital to be able, because people say, oh, well, the Bible doesn't talk about mental health. Or then there's people who say that, oh yeah, it's all there. And it's telling you how it's all simple and you just need to stop. But what we need to realize is illness has been a reality since the fall. It's because of the fall that things are broken and they aren't as they should be. And that God understands that. And he draws near and he wants us to find comfort and peace in him. Not that he's wagging a finger at us and telling us, get your act together. Okay. So last question, what do you hope that a young parent, like if you could sit down kind of like with the young mom that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation, if you could sit down and just say one thing to them or tell them a story, what do you hope somebody walks away with? from your book, from this conversation today, what would you want to say to them? I'd want them to know that it's okay to have limits and it's very normal. The people who care about you and that whose opinion of you matters, they aren't judging you either. And it's okay to need help right now. It's going to be a really trying season and it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to be afraid. And in the midst of all of that, you can rest in God who is going to carry you and is carrying you right now through every moment of it. It's a really kind and compassionate stance. Let me just say too, I know it is not easy to talk about our weaknesses all the time, whatever those might be. So thank you for your willingness to be transparent and vulnerable with us here today, also in your writing as well, because I think that gives us permission to do the same. Yeah, that was my hope. And I'm, I really hope that's the case when other people read or listen to my writing. So I want to make sure that people can come find you, find your book. So how can people connect with you after this conversation? Yeah, you can find my book at calipresspublishing.com. You can connect with my writing, uh, laradontremont.substack.com. That's where I have my regular writing. And you can also learn more about me and some of the other work I do at laradontremont.com. That's my more professional website. But Substack is where you can check in to see more of my regular and more personal writing. Yeah. We love Substack around here. And we, as in (laughs) me, I love Substack. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It was so good to sit with you for a bit. For having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Human Together. If you resonated with today's episode, I hope you'll share the show with a friend, leave a rating or review to help others find us, and come back next week for another conversation on the communal life. 
In the meantime, you can also find all the ways to connect with me and my work at sarahewestfall.com. Human Together is hosted by me, Sarah E. Westfall, and is produced and edited by Ben Westfall. The theme music is Sit With Me, written and performed by Sarah Scarborough.